Lodge Podcast. With your host, Hodgy the Hack. Hello, everybody. Welcome along. My name is Benjamin Bloom. This is the Benjamin Bloom Football Channel. Please leave your bias at the door and join us for episode two. My banner's not very planned out very well, is it? Let's remove that. We'll put it back later. Episode two of Behind Enemy Lines, which is a show about Ipswich Town and about Norwich City. We are going to be live on my channel uh, once a month and live on the man opposite me's channel once a month. We've already done a show over there, so we're over here today. So I think we should probably do some introductions. Before we do that, let me know that you can see me, hear me loudly and clearly, and do say hello in the chat. And questions in, but this is going to be very, very East Anglia-centric, so we will be talking about Ipswich and Norwich. You can throw some other stuff in, but it may well not get answered. Anyway, introductions. Mr. Hodge, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? And why should anybody listen to a word you say? Uh, okay, so for all of the Ipswich Town fans, the Benjamin Bloom fans who haven't encountered me before, my name's Stuart Hodge, aka Hodgey the Hack. I'm just out the shower, as people can see, and my hair wouldn't sit right, and I thought, Ben's hair is so well covered every time <laughs> he's on his channel that there's no way I can compete with that. So I just thought, yeah, aye, let's stick it up. But yeah, I am a regular EFL commentator. Um, I've commentated some Ipswich games and some Norwich games this season. I've seen Ipswich's two new signings quite a bit this season. I'm looking forward to talking about them. But this show is all about talking about Ipswich and Norwich City. And our aim is to basically have a place where both clubs are talked about and obviously there's going to be a bit of banter but it's more about just actually having some some proper quality debate or discussion or whatever way the, the whole thing goes but hello to everybody that's not encountered me before i'm at hodgy the hack on socials that's h-o-d-g-e-y the hack uh, go find me and make sure and once we we go back home to my channel in a couple of weeks' time, make sure and tune in and let's make this a regular thing for Canaries and Tractor Boys. So when you go on iFollow or on the Sky website to look up EFL games and you hear a high-pitched Scottish voice high yelling, yelling, you get excited when goals go in, don't you? Um, Hi, that'll be I'm... this guy. And Stu, you were the actual in-house Norwich City commentator. Um, just tell my subscribers a bit about that. Cool. So the 2016-17 season, I was the Norwich City Club commentator. Uh, and I mean, it was one of the best experiences of my life, to be honest. That's how I became a Norwich City fan. Also that season, as well as doing that, I was kind of doing a dual role. So like, I worked for the club, but also worked as a reporter on the club for a local radio station. Uh, and it also, if you ever heard a Scottish voice on Town 102 bulletins, that I remember Town 102. That was you as well, was it? That was me. So oh, I tremendous. It's um so I like my, my my pipes have been heard across East Anglia for quite a while. Uh but yeah, like obviously working for Norwich, uh, I grew a love for the club and obviously some contacts. That's why on my very first podcast on my channel, Alex Neal came back on to to have his first big chat about his time at Norwich City. So anyone that's that's interested in the the, the sort of thing with him, 
go and check that out. So, aye, no, good to be on your channel, mate. Good to, to be meeting some of your subscribers and, and seeing all the sort of interaction in the chat. And, yeah, looking forward to, to getting some, some banter going and some chat with you all. Let me just give Liam a quick shout-out because he's an MK Dons fan. MK Dons have, fans, have signed Scott Twine today from Swindon. Quite to the surprise of, yeah, really, really good, really good signing there. Um, are there many Ipswich Norwich supporters in Scotland, Stu? There are a few. I wonder if George Burley's still one uh, when it comes to Ipswich. George lives, George lives in Ipswich now, doesn't he? Aye, but he's from Cumnock, which is the town next to where my mum was brought up. Good mining community, that. Right. Uh, and that is Stuart's catchphrase, which he will only be saying probably about five five shows in, okay? So um, I remember listening to a, um, a podcast with a wrestler on I, I liked, and his catchphrase was, damn. And he made people work to hear the catchphrase. So um, Chambers 101, it's, it's not going to come out just like that. Now, we should probably stop waffling because it's been quite a busy news week. Um, I just think one coming from um, Toby. So look, the idea of this is when we were on Stu's channel, Norwich is the home team, so we talk about them first. Uh, when we're on my channel, Ipswich is the home team. Uh, but we do need to follow the prevailing narrative. Um, so we might go a little bit more heavy on Norwich with a couple of um, big stories. And um, I know you guys love when um, social issues and football mix, but we may, I apologise in advance, have to touch that as well. Um, Toby, will get your question up in just a sec. Uh, keep your questions um, coming in. Um, we, look, anything goes, but we are here to talk about um, Ipswich and Norwich primarily. So, Stu, um, Ipswich are um, behaving somewhat like Wolves did in the 17-18 season in the Championship in League One and are now uh, thoroughly irritating all the other teams and... Um, Mikey from the Blue Monday show sent me a message from one of his Pompey mates. Literally, oh, money bags Ipswich now scooping up everybody's players. So the situation is the takeover happened. There appears to be some money that probably tempted Paul Cook into the job in the first instance. We're getting um, a new team, basically. And mm -hmm. we've had the first new signings. And we possibly think we know who the next couple of new signings are. So Ipswich in the past week have signed Wes Burns from yep. uh, Fleetwood. He's known to Mark Ashton, the new uh, Ipswich CEO from his time at, was it Oxford or Bristol City? Some, um, Annie, help me out in the, in the chat. With, I think with it may have been Bristol City, actually. Yeah, pass. Um, their mm. paths have crossed. And also, um, Lee Evans, who was at Sheffield United, but was with um, Paul Cook at Wigan. And we're expecting the return of Callum Connolly, who was an Everton youth player who was on loan at Ipswich. He was also at Fleetwood last mm -hmm. season. A decent player, can play like fullback. Good technician, really, really good technician. And a player. proper, um, you look at him, and he's a typical scouser. You know, he's 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 a he's a hard nut on the pitch, basically. And there's just lots of very very exciting links. Um, we've been talking about the Paul Cook style and the physical number ten. 
mm-hmm. uh, which gives us a direct link to Kieran Dowell, obviously, who now plays for Norwich. And there's a big link with Matt Crooks today. So it's terribly exciting. So I would like your outside take on <laughs> Lee Evans, Wes Burns, and the idea of buying a new team. Um, I guess at League One level, it's a bit mm-hmm. more... Di- It'll cost you 40, 50 million quid at championship level, whereas it won't. So um, what's your what's your um, read on this? So Ipswich, I mean, it's been a summer of clearing the decks, hasn't it? Like we've obviously seen a few familiar faces go out the door. Uh, I think it's a time for a bit in a kind of Doctor Who style, a regeneration of, of everything <laughs> yeah, that's happening at Portland like Road. And uh, yeah, like, I mean, an interesting discussion would be which Doctor Who are you going from and turning into? Are you doing like deep, Christopher Eccleston to David Tennant, like I don't know, but anyway, which is the, which is the best one? Uh, David Tennant is my okay. We want to be David Tennant then, right? <laughs> well, that's that's quite. If you manage that, then that's quite a claim to fame. But it depends oh, okay. how work, it depends whether your team's workmanlike or flamboyant. Uh, but I think you'll play an attractive style of football next season. In terms of first two signings through the door, Lee Evans, big big favourite of Paul Cooks. Uh, I think he sees him as a bit of a kind of culture setter, can come in and. Really, so he's, he's that kind of guy. He's midfield presence, and then other things can build around about him. So, if you start at the solar plexus of the football team, then what you've got is you've got someone in there that Paul Cook really, really trusts. Uh, and Wes Burns, you've got a tidy operator in the right hand side. My one thing I would say about that is it's a good signing to get out of League One. It's not necessarily a signing that's that's going to make big waves in the championship. I think he's he's one of those players, and maybe you can make the same argument with Lee Evans as well. That is a good League One player, decent championship player. But I think with Paul Cook as a manager, then what you're going to have is you're going to have a manager that can get the best out of those type of players. That's exactly what he did at Wigan Athletic, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how Ipswich can I keep doing it and it's it's so funny that you've got like a Pompey fan saying oh money bags Ipswich whatever <laughs> like given the the history that they've had but yeah. so many big clubs in league one like I said no, on it. yeah I, I said on the first pod last week um first, sorry a couple of weeks back the first behind enemy lines I said I expect Ipswich to get out of the division and this is zero... not the biggest club Stu no, there's no, Sunderland no. in there still Sunderland, as well. I, 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 yeah no Sunderland are probably the biggest club but what I would say is the zeal with which Ipswich are going about their business makes me think that, and the fact that Paul Cook's just a really good operator, I think I think it's, it's what's needed. I mean, if you looked at some of Paul Cook's interviews after some of the games <laughs> towards the end of the season, um, as well think, as like the... the Stuart, the, the I think he was, having a, he was having a competition with Nigel Pearson for uh, Bristol <laughs> City for the bit of who could, who could bury the players. Can I just borrow your Doctor Who knowledge, Nat? who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan, says, we are Peter Capaldi. Was he not very good then? He was was weird, Was he in the thick of it? Yes, he was, and he was magnificent. Yes, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was brilliant. And it kind of, if we weren't, if we were past the watershed, I would just turn into a sweary Scotsman (laughs) in in tribute. But uh, I I think, um, I think Peter Capaldi, I'm interested in that, why you think that is. Is that because he's like, Ipswich are kind of a bit weird? Because Peter Capaldi was definitely... Oh, no, he's a Wednesday fan. Oh, he's sorry. a Wednesday fan, yeah. Mm. Oh, right, sorry. Oh, you're talking about Wednesday. See, this is the thing. This is confusing. Oh, I'm it'll go all over the place with my subscribers. Don't worry. Mate, yeah. that's brilliant. Like, I love it. And can I just say, my biggest passion, like, the worst thing about being an Norwich fan 
Uh, maybe not right now, actually. But prior to this week, the worst thing about being a Norwich fan was the fact that we're going to the Premier League because I am a massive, massive fan of English football pyramid until you get to the Premier League. It's real football. And uh, the fact that you've obviously got a massive EFL subscriber base is awesome because it's the best football pyramid in the world. And far be it for me to admit that the English are the best at something. Um, Stu, can you compare and contrast from the outside of you the um, incredibly badly botched Mick McCarthy to Paul Hurst regeneration, where essentially you're trying to regenerate a team in the championship under a um, slightly disinterested owner with mm-hmm. the players Paul Hurst would have signed had he been Shrewsbury manager and had a big budget in League One. Can, can you compare that with being, um, let's face it, a bit like Norwich are in the championship, uh, a big team who can who can kind of swing a tiger around to use an Alan Partridgeism. Um, can you compare and contrast the two regenerations from your your point of view? So you're talking going from McCarthy to Hurst to the yeah, because essentially they're trying to do the same thing. They they tried to do it there, a league up with worse players, basically. You what you've got now though is you've got someone that is an absolute proven operator at this level, someone that has shown that he can do it with money, without money with good players, with not-so-good players. So that's the difference, whereas Paul Hurst was coming off a of one good job, really, for the most one part. One good season, yeah. Yeah, so like on that basis, I think that's the thing. You're getting Sorry, someone... can I take that back? Sorry, that's a bit mm. unfair. He did well at Grimsby before. I'll take that back. Right, fair enough. But my point being, you've got, you've got someone... If we're talking about levels, right? We're talking about levels of the pyramid. You've got someone coming in who has a track record in, in this division and the division above of getting teams to play above like, and beyond what they should actually do. So if you couple that with the fact that Ipswich are clearly going to throw money and resource at it to get out of the division this season, then I think that's just got to be a recipe for success. Um, season tickets, the phones are apparently ringing off the hook. Um, and look, <laughs> someone tweeted earlier, I think it might have been a Norwich fan, saying it looks like the people who are counting... Ipswich season ticket sales are the same people who were counting the Trump votes in the in the US because <laughs> <laughs> the number seems to keep going up a, a thousand every. Stop the count! <laughs> stop! No, don't stop the count if they're keeping if they're keeping selling. But um, isn't it isn't it great um, to look? Um, Ipswich have a have a habit of Devon locking most opportunities they're given. But isn't it nice to see some optimism, some players coming in and the fans are buying in, aren't they? And they're I know we're coming off COVID, so maybe we'd get I mean I'd be interested, Norwich traditionally sell out season tickets anyway, but they tend to um <laughs> win games of football and score goals, don't they? But um it, it, do you um, do you buy this this spike in season tickets and this this goodwill at the moment? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm not the the, the Trumpian Republican phone <laughs> operator at, um, at Portman Road. But what I would say is, I think football clubs go through peaks and troughs, don't they? This, this is a period of optimism for Ipswich Town. This is a period where I think Ipswich fans. I think there was a kind of acceptance that last season was was the end of a cycle. I think we talked a bit about this last week. We are a couple of weeks ago. I keep saying last week, a couple of weeks ago. And I think when you look at where Ipswich are at 
as a whole, as a football club, it's a time where they can actually get behind them. So you've got a new owner in. That's obviously an exciting time for any football club. You've got a manager who's proven at the level. You're obviously beginning to bring players in who will be of a calibre to get you out of the division. You can understand why there's a bit of optimism around the place and whether season ticket numbers are getting massaged or not, I don't think it actually matters. What matters is the feeling around the football club and I think the feeling around Ipswich Town seems to be a lot more positive than it was 12 months ago when it was just despondent. Yeah, 100%. And um, we always talk... Sorry, I was just going to say despondent and kind of resigned. Like, oh, if you look gosh, at the atmosphere yeah. around the club, like, 12 months ago, it was well, like very much just, like, oh, more of the same, you know? Yeah, like, we, we, we always would discuss it on Blue Monday and say the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And when you get to indifference and not caring, it, yeah, it gets it gets really bad. Um, just one more um, on Ipswich. The idea of buying a team, we always talk about, year two and 18 months of pattern of play and stuff, you can do it in League One, though, can't you? Yeah, I would say so. But I'm interested in your point of view as well, mate. Like, I mean, how do you feel about the the signings through the door? Because obviously you watch a lot of the pyramid as well. It's your club. I want to know what you think about the guys that you have got in, about the guys that you are potentially going to get in, and what you, the main bit, what do you think... Paul Cook can can ring out of this squad that appears to be getting built. I mean, are you are you confident that that what's getting built is going to be something that can carry out of what is, as we've said, a very competitive division with big teams and other teams who have aspirations, you know, and and the ability to to maybe follow those through. I mean, you know me, I'm I'm a pragmatist and I don't like to get caught with my pants down. So my confidence um, is only going to extend so far. But look, when you've got the manager coming out and basically burying the team from last season. Hilarious. And setting himself... <laughs> Genuinely. Um, as a Norwich fan, totally hilarious. <laughs> and setting himself up, putting so much pressure on himself, where basically, if he's not in the top four, not even the top six, it's got to be within um, shooting distance to the top two. By his own standards, he'll be failing. Then that would fill you with um, some kind of confidence the um the one issue is the gelling of the team but i think we know and you've seen enough of um particularly paul cook's wigan who grew into the championship and were they were very good in the i mean we've all seen the numbers haven't we where only leeds and um uh, i think it was only leeds in mm-hmm. the second half of the 1920 season scored more points than wigan and they were then ultimately relegated by the 12 point admin destruct, destruction, deduction, excuse me, and, um, you know, out they go and out goes every single one of those players. Um, so I'm reasonably confident, but look, we've seen it before, haven't we, with projects where, I don't know, um, a lot of moving parts at the same time, new manager, entirely new backroom staff, new ownership, new players. It's It's not a guarantee. Would you agree? I don't think it's a guarantee, but I I went on the line and said last week, yeah, see if I do that again. I think every time I say last week, I should get putting like penalty points against me. Uh, I, I, I think I was confident given the new ownership and the manager you had in charge a couple of weeks back that you were getting out of the division. The signings that you've done 
I wouldn't say I would be, as an Ipswich, if I was an Ipswich fan, I wouldn't be overly excited. I wouldn't be like, oh my goodness, like who have we signed? That's not the reaction. What you're doing is you're signing players who are of the right standard, type, age, ilk, to get you out of this division into the next one. You've also lucked, well, or, or obviously paid to get a manager that uh, is going to be capable with even a squad that is sort of between the kind of League One or Championship standard. He'll keep you in the Championship when you get there as well. That's the thing. The key bit for Ipswich is either A, Armin Paul Cook with resource once you get to the Championship, which I do think you'll get out of the division this year, uh, of this coming season. I think the key bit in terms of the longevity of this is when he gets to the championship, how do you back him? Is the resource there to back him to, to build a team that's capable of top half, challenging for the top six? You know, like, and, and Paul Cook is a guy that can get more out of players than the sum of the parts. But what is the sum of the parts going to be? Are you going to provide them with the resource to build a team that can do that? Is that going to be a challenge that excites can you, him? Can you do that with FFP limits, though? You can't, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure someone will to bring up... I'm sure someone will bring up hashtag self-funded at some point, but it doesn't matter how much money's in the background, does it? If if you go over that FFP limit, you're you know you're in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, but at the same time, it would need to be. We're going to come on to chronic mismanagement of situations, <laughs> I'm sure, right? But um, <laughs> you would need to badly mismanage the situation from a financial perspective if that was to be the case. Actually, as well, what would interest me now, I've not had many conversations with agents for a wee while, but I, I wonder if there's a bit of clubs saying, look, we're going to build this kind of contract in an incentive-based way so that we can circumnavigate some of those pitfalls, you know? And it'll be interesting to see if that impacts the construction of contracts at the different sort of bits of the pyramid. Uh so I I think that's that's a completely it, it's a fair point to make, but I wouldn't I wouldn't worry that Ipswich. I think you've got I think you've got good ownership structure in now, where I mean the future of the club is a lot better than than sort of more of Marcus Evans in it. Mm, so yeah. on that basis, I, I would say I wouldn't worry too much about the small stuff. Enjoy the fact that you're building a team that's going to get out of the division. That, that's where I would be at. But yeah. you are the eternal pragmatist, Mr. <laughs> uh, this is a great question from David, which I'm going to give a non-answer but answer to. Was Paul Cook appointed by the new Ipswich board? That's such a good question because it's so murky. So um, we've heard that Paul Cook was appointed by Marcus Evans, but then we've heard from the new chairman, Mike O'Leary, that he just happened to be their number one guy as well. And Paul Cook gave certain answers early in his tenure that um, implied that he knew exactly or had been given assurances and probably had get-outs in his contract if certain things didn't happen. Um, so I think, um, to quote my great friend David Diamond off the Blue Monday podcast, it's a little bit of both, um, I think, there. But that's... a that's a great question. So um, what, what happens in football quite often, right, is what the public-facing narrative or uh, sort of bit that's trotted out by by the club or by the club's sort of people is not always the, the truth of what happens because I think the nature of football is, right, so if, if you get someone that's going to start a post on a certain date, yeah, 
it would be folly if you knew that you're going to start a job in, say, like a couple of months' time or three months' time, right? If you can start planning for that, albeit unofficially, behind the scenes, probably unpaid as of yet, then you're going to do everything to give yourself, like, the best running start, you know? A bit like a relay race. You want to have, like, a running start and, and get off the mark right away. And to all intents and purposes, it's the 8th of June, and Ipswich are already proactively adding to their squad. I can I just jump can I just oh, jump sorry. in there, Stu, where mm-hmm. you've also got Mark Ashton and we got this odd situation where he was still working at Bristol City, but as you've just said, he's come in and then days later, players that are known to him have already come in. So I think perhaps what you've just said applies with the CEO and the manager. Read read between the lines. That's the key thing with football. Uh I mean, to to use a situation that, that I was sort of kind of involved in in terms of reporting recently, Eddie Howe to Celtic, the agent there was clearly stirring the pot time and time again. And there's deliberate misinformation getting leaked out and reported just to keep the whole soap opera narrative going. So quite often what you see getting reported, and then this is the key bit, and it's a bit like that South Park episode about the trolls, right? It's like the reaction to that is the key bit. But the truth can be seen in the murky grey areas reading between the lines. And I would say that there's, the, the, I mean, I'd be speculating, but I think there's there's a fair chance that that's exactly what's happened at Ipswich. And by the way, oh, here we go. Um, five shows, five shows in. That's the deal. Every five shows, you'll maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, gonna say 60, stay for sixty minutes, and you'll get a Graham Thorns. Yeah, mm. he was a great player, wasn't he? And I think holds a championship assist record for West Brom, doesn't he? Continue on your point, um, Hodgie. Cra- cracking player. I was just wrapping yeah. it up, really. Um, I, I think I, I, if I was an Ipswich fan right now, I mean, is this not the best week to have been an Ipswich fan for a long time? Yeah. I mean, look, um, look at everything that's happening up the road. And then, like, you guys have new owners, new ma- well, sort of semi-new but, manager and Stu, new signings in. The one thing you've got to remember is, naively or not, we wanted to believe that the reset was going to happen under Paul Hurst in the Championship. And obviously, it was never going to happen under the old owner, was the, was the issue. So, it's a little bit once bitten, um, twice shy, um, let's just say. So, look, anyway, we have a... Marvellous news cycle to talk about on um, Norwich. Uh, Championship winners, Norwich, whose fans should be incredibly happy uh, preparing for the big leagues um, again. But a couple of stories, not even the past two weeks, Stu, the past three days. So do you want to talk first about (laughs) Emi Buendia or do you want to talk first about um, BK8? Uh, do you know what? Can I take a can I take a question first? That's yeah, yeah, go on. on the can you see it? Uh, yes, it came in from Mister Norwich at seven twenty six. It was, would you have Lambert back at Norwich <laughs> Hodgie? Hang on, there um, we go. And the answer to that is a categorical no. Paul Lambert has not been the same manager since he stopped working with Ian Culverhouse. Paul Lambert based his whole managerial philosophy, or like a vast, vast portion of it, on what Martin O'Neill did at Celtic when they they had that successful period together. 
And a big part of Martin O'Neill's thing was he worked with John Robertson, his assistant, and Steve Walford as his first team coach. Lambert was similar in terms of how he lent on Culverhouse and the rest of his backroom staff when he was at Norwich. Then there was an incident happened at Aston Villa, which was, I would say, Lambert's last properly successful-ish job. Uh, and, yeah, since then he's not worked being Culverhouse and he's not been the same manager, not having his chief lieutenant there. So for that reason, nothing to do with anything that's happened since... Um, other than that, and uh, well, actually, I suppose the fact he's, he's had a pretty sort of bog standard to poor track record of of jobs since um, since Villa would make me say uh, absolutely no chance. But yes, um, I'll let you choose what we talk about first because I I I was talked out on another podcast last night, <laughs> so I'm quite happy to take. Are we going to get all the good stuff now? I tell you what, we'll talk about first, you. Mm-hmm. Cards plug. That's what we're going to talk about. Indulge me for 30 seconds, 20% off your order over at Cards Plug, uh, cardsplug.com slash bloom. If you think you're a 92 rated midfielder like I evidently am with very, very low physicality, uh, you can get yourself one of these bad boys. Um, if anyone thinks they can figure out what player has got exactly the same stats as me, then um, have a go. Have a good look at that. I know some. Uh, players of a certain popular football game will be able to. Um, and a discount code BLOOM at checkout, 20% off your order. Next day, delivery. Get a little wool fixing kits, Stu. Good stuff. Um, it's it's quite good, Elite. And I've got to say, you know you're on a proper football channel. It's not like my wee renegade thing when you've got, um, <laughs> when you've got actual sponsors getting plugged. Oh, um, I also want to pick out what Paul Woodrow said. He's absolutely right. Ian Culverhouse and Gary Carser. And um, I need to give um, our mutual friend Jack out, uh, Jack uh, Shout, who had a really good interview with um, Gary Carter on the um, Talk Norwich City um, podcast as well. That's unbelievable. That's so any- <laughs> I, I was on their podcast last night, which um, we, we, we had really good viewership, and there was a proper salving of the consciences uh, for a lot of Norwich City fans. And I think even Ipswich fans who went to watch that would, would find a bit of maybe gallows humour and seeing how much we were suffering with, with the whole thing. Um, uh, that- can we just quickly take this one, um, Stu, QPR forever? There was a big link uh, with Macaulay Bon uh, mm-hmm. to Ipswich as well. Um, and there's still a big link with Andre Dezel out. Basically, mm-hmm. every Ipswich player is um, up for sale. Um, Hodgie has a 99 voice. Thank only you when much, he says, Joe. only when he says two certain words um, that begin with G and D. Um, no, I don't know apparently. about that, mate. Like I, I, I think my voice is my. I mean, I mean, the face has not much to write home about, so the voice has got to do, got to do something. Okay, manage, you know? let's set this up with the normal apology, Stu, because I normally do this channel, and um, ever since uh, there was a flag flown over a football stadium and they all got a bit political I said we're not going to do any social politics or whatever but we're going to talk about BK8 um first of all before I um set you up for this what is BK8 it's a Malaysian betting company based for tax reasons in Malta well I'm assuming it's tax reasons the picture's got murkier today because there's been reporting today that what we believed was a, like a, a deal that was done by the Nordic City commercial team for money 
it, there's been reported today that the money wasn't actually better than the existing Daffabet deal. So the, the picture is getting much murkier. But yeah, it's a it's a company based in Malaysia. So a bit of context to that. Malaysia is a country where gambling is treated in the same kind of way, if you imagine strip clubs in this country. Stu, can I just stop yeah. you one second? I'm so sorry to stop your full flow. Can mm -hmm. we just do something while you're talking? Guys, mm -hmm. can we just do a straw poll in the chat, please? All I want to hear is yes or no. Uh, so, yes or no, do you have a problem with gambling sponsors on football shirts? Just just so we can get a straw poll. There's plenty of people watching the stream. So, just give me a yes or no. If you have a problem with gambling on football shirts, write yes. If you don't have a problem with gambling sponsors on football shirts, um, put no. So, just give me a yes or no, and we'll get like a straw poll in the channel. Sorry, Stu, I just wanted to get that going. That's well, right. No, 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 yeah, that's, go ahead, that, go that's good. What, what I think as well is it's the, it's the strength of a, a, a channel with, with strong viewership that you can do these kind of things. I, I would be very surprised if the results of this poll are, are anything other than people basically saying, yeah, like gambling should should pretty much be, be kicked out of football. But I don't think Norwich fans are angry about the fact there's a gambling sponsor per se. Like, I mean, maybe some of them are, but I think there's a kind of acceptance that with the review that's going to happen into to gambling companies and sponsorship and things, that I, I, kind of in a, in a way you can understand jumping on that gravy train for another year. Jumping on the gravy train with BK8, who most people have described their marketing policies as essentially soft core porn. <laughs> um, that that's that's been the the term that's that's been most readily thrown around and. If you go through BK8's social channels, the two things that strike you are nobody follows them, right? I mean, literally, they're linked in. When I checked it yesterday morning, had two followers. Then <laughs> it, it doubled. It doubled in the space of a couple of hours to four, right? That's on LinkedIn. You're talking three figures on Twitter. I think it was two or three figures on Instagram. And then if you go through these channels, Right. I couldn't even find it on Instagram. And then I saw all these screenshots appearing on Twitter of scantily clad Asian women and captions and, and, and a sort of type of sponsorship that belongs in like the 1980s or 90s. You know, I mean, it's it's proper, outdated. Just in, quickly, in just so I can get I haven't seen this so I can get a handle on it. Was it were they still images or were they videos? Uh, everything I saw was a still image. I don't know if there was, okay. was video stuff as well. But I think the key thing is Norwich City is a club, right? And this is something that, that I went to town on in that Norwich Talk uh, stream that we did last night. Norwich City is a club. See when, see when all the European Super League stuff was happening, I made a point of going on a multitude of channels and podcasts and stuff and saying that I'm so proud that I'm a Norwich City fan because we are better. Like, we, we mean more as a football club than the soulless Man United that want to sort of jump on that bandwagon, you know? Like, I would never rather have been a, a Man United fan than a Norwich City fan. But this is the first time in my time supporting Norwich City. So that's five years or so now, right? That's the first time in my time that I've felt properly gutted at my football club. Obviously, Project Restart was a nightmare. We went down, whatever. None of that. It's, it's football. Right, but this is the first time that a club that's built on a community identity, on family values, and I don't mean in the, the <laughs> I'm going to get political, not in the Maggie Thatcher way, in the way that families is a family friendly club, boys, girls, 
people of all ages from, from sort of octogenarians downwards going to the stadium, enjoying the football and going into a friendly atmosphere and, and that kind of thing. That's what Norwich City is all about. It's about the community. It's about the one county club. It's about everyone feeling part of something, feeling an identity, the yellow and green, all of that stuff. And that wholesome feeling that you have about being a Norwich fan and about being part of that, which is the bit of my football fandom that, that I picked, like I picked to be part of this. This was something that, that seeped into me when I worked for the football club and covered them. This is the first time that I've felt that that wholesomeness has been tarnished. And it's not just been tarnished in a small way. The way that this whole thing has sort of developed and, and so, so quickly as well is it's just made me feel pretty ashamed of the club. And I've never, ever been in that position before, like as, as a Norwich fan. I don't know if other Norwich fans have, because obviously there's things like, I mean, Chris Sutton getting sold with Robert Chase and various things in the history that have been a bit of a nightmare. But this is the first time that I felt properly ashamed. And that's a horrible place to be can as we, a Norwich Knights supporter. Can we talk about the tension between ideological ideas and practical ideas? So... For example, and, you know, look, let's be completely transparent. I have a gambling company sponsors me. Okay. Yes. So I'm a one man band trying to make a go of um, YouTube. And for my betterment, I am made an offer by a gambling company, which I know is going to upset some of my subscribers. And I got a lot of emails and some of them were, very mean <laughs> and very disparaging. Some of them were in the middle and they were like, look, I trust you. I think you're a good guy. Um, do you know what I mean? I'm, not really for me, but I, I, I get why you need to do it. And some of them, some people didn't care. And uh, generally the mix we just saw was probably, I would say about 80-20 against um, gambling companies on on shirts. Talk to me about the tension between um, the ideological side of it, where um, gambling is, oh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Gambling mm -hmm. can be a big problem if um, people are not able to cope with, you know, the the problems that it can cause. Yeah. Well, well um, just, just, just a quick one on that. Did I not see a stat that I think it was between 16, 70% of revenue for gambling companies comes from problem gamblers. And Does it really? I'd, I'd, listen, I, it was a throwaway thing I saw. I'd like, I, mm. I can't say that it was qualitative research or anything like that. But you imagine a, a proportion of that, for all that the when the fun stops, stops is, is said by everyone. It's like, how proactively do you engage with that? But I think the problem here, Ben, is it's not about the gambling it's not about the gambling sponsorship, right? That's the that's the sort of holistic issue. Like if you look across football, and of course there's a discussion to be had with that. There's going to be a government review, and there's going to be lots of moves on that score. And then there's probably going to be a lot of fight back for football clubs who are clawing for every bit of revenue they can get, um, especially in the, the the kind of post-COVID sort of times. That there is not. I think there's an acceptance that the gambling thing is what it is and that there's going to be another year of that. That's not the problem here. Okay. It is the type of gambling company, the way that it markets itself, the way that that reflects on Norwich City's own values, 
And sure. Stuart, is that is that reflective of your own personal view or from I know you can't speak for anyone other than you, but mm -hmm. you're in the in the bubble there with the Norwich fans, aren't you? Is that reflective of your view or the general thing that there's an acceptance that I cover the Skybet Championship, right? Where yeah. nine out of ten teams have a have a have a gambling sponsor, and whenever I walk into a stadium, I'm being in, invited to invited to gamble. So Nick, Nick um, Miller's just making that same point. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, you, you continue. No, no, Nick Miller's just making that same point that you did there. Listen, the gambling thing is what it is, right? And and that's going to be, I mean, that, that's going to be something that's going to change in time, I think. But it's the way, so you're talking about whether my opinion is me or the general Norwich City fans. Yeah, I'm just the curious. One, the one thing that I would say that has come remarkably clearly to me and anyone that looks on Norwich City. Now, social media is an echo chamber, of course we know that, but if there's pretty much one point of view getting per, like put forward by everyone that um, of, of a certain demographic, right? And that demographic being women, right? And female football fans. Female football fans that support Norwich City, I've not seen one female football fan say that they are not bothered by this. Not one. I'm sure there are some, but they are in the vast minority. Norwich City is a football club that does loads of great stuff in terms of female inclusion. Um, it's working hard to, to make sure that the, the stadium and match days and stuff like that are a safe environment for women. They're taking proactive steps to make sure that there's safe spaces to report anything that, that makes women feel unsafe. All of that stuff is happening. And the club is doing so many good things in that regard. But that is completely outweighed now by the association with this company for so many people. Okay. Um, Zoe Ward on Twitter is one. I've not got the tweet to hand myself, but she wrote a letter and then put that on Twitter. And it's a very, very powerful letter. The Canaries Trust put out a video stating their dissatisfaction with the thing. And they've recently done a survey about um, how women feel at, at, at Carroll Road and that kind of thing. And I actually sort of referenced that in the last episode of my, my Hodge or Nodge podcast on, on my own Hodge the Hack channel, where I spoke to Amy Clement, who's part of that Hard Game the, 2 movement. She did the um, bits on my Football 365 um, playoff previews as the Swansea fan. So she she's wrote awesome. for me. Yeah. She's awesome. Now, Amy, Amy really knows her football. She's part of, and that's the other thing about this, it's the timing of it. So the Hard Game 2 movement's happening, all of this stuff that's, really giving female fans a voice. I think most people were aghast at the, the, the reaction from, from some portions of kind of small-minded fans to, to Alex Scott when she got her new big gig. You know, I think, like, I mean, yeah, in my right, opinion, yeah. she's, she's probably the best pundit out there and totally deserves the, the success that she's, like, like of, I mean, there was, there was obviously a push to get female pundits more of a voice and, and more of them on things. But Alex Scott could have been doing that for years. She was brilliant. There was only the fact she was playing in her own career that was maybe stopping her because she's so eloquent, so knowledgeable, reads a game, all of those things. Women and men are the same with that. Like, it, it, there's, there's no difference. But the timing of this, in amongst this push, this swell for female voices to feel empowered, to feel heard, to feel on a level playing field, and then th this happens, which is totally disenfranchised the vast majority of the female Dave's, fan base in Norwich City. Dave's got, you, Dave's got you there. 
though, hasn't he? Alex Scott's not the best pundit because I am, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> evidently. There we go. Sorry, I was just trying to bring a bit of lightness to a difficult Sorry, conversation. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting heavy again. Um, you are. But- Let, can we just go to the chat really, really yes. quickly? Guys in the chat, okay. Um, sometimes we get a little bit um, all in on these things. So in the chat, what do you do if you've signed a contract with a company that has some issues, let's just say, with how they've marketed things in the past. But let's be honest, the contract is signed and probably binding if they're going away and making nice videos. What, if this was your club or you are a Norwich fan, what would you like to see done to help make a step towards not being, um, you know, perceived in, in that way? Let me know. Let me know in the chat because... Stu, it needs to be a bit more nuanced, doesn't it? Then cancel it, cancel the contract, get a new get a new sponsor. There needs to be discussion and there needs to be a move forward. And I think sometimes in these situations, we go a little bit, bang, cancel, done, get out. Well, um, so let me know in the chat. What do you think, Stu? Hey, well, I've been doing a bit of sort of digging into this today because last night when we were on the sort of Norwich talk stream, I was like, I, I was normally because I talk about football a hell of a lot, um, whether that's live over pictures or on things like this, I normally feel in my comfort zone across most aspects of what you'd be talking about. When it comes to contract law, to commercial partnerships, to all of that stuff, it was like it was a bit grey to me. So this morning I made a point asking a few people, like, how does this work a bit? And the main thing that I found out is there should be if Norwich City want to, a means by which that they can remove themselves from this deal if they want. The fact that the the, the money might not have been better just can, confuses me. The fact that not enough due diligence was done to see the nature of the market and that this BKA company have done in, in Asia, um, which we should say is a totally different market and there are different sort of I, I think the the way that people kind of understand marketing practices over there and what is tolerated and, and and what kind of styles and stuff it's different it's culturally different malaysia is a country gambling is it's, it's i'm not sure if it's illegal or outlawed or the difference between the two but it's essentially one of those things a bit like strip clubs we added extras in this country um was the description i got from my mate in malaysia and that people know that it happens but it's pretty much ignored and swept under the carpet. And because a Muslim country predominantly, um, it's, it's obviously one of those things that's banned, but obviously there are Chinese people, Indian people and stuff who, who do do it. So all of this provides context to the the, the kind of BK thing and, and maybe why their platforms don't have a big swell of followers, right? But I think the key thing for me is if you're disenfranchising your fan base and, and a vast sort of majority of, of the females and the fan base, especially when it's a club that has pushed so hard on inclusivity and safety and all of these different aspects, it just feels like such a counterproductive measure. And can I, um, that's... Can I just parlay that into Ipswich, where mm-hmm. magical, Va- yeah, magical Vegas were taken on as the sponsor, and it was—I don't know—it was all a little bit tacky, and it was—it was a online casino, but a bit of a. Um, crappy one do you know what I mean and they went with the magical Vegas sponsor and then the next season they went to NHS Carers Trust as by way of a 
I don't know, by way of a bit of um, bit of recompense. I'm not sure whether Ipswich had had a gambling sponsor. Probably had everybody's... Um, look, if they're not on the shirt, they're around the entire perimeter of the yeah, pitch. Yeah, that's and that. And, and with the season I was the Norwich commentator, Norwich's sponsor was Aviva Community Fund. So, um, I mean, that, that gives you an idea in terms of the kind of parallels. But you get the commercial imperative to chase gambling sponsorship. But this just seems to have been a lack of due diligence and a poorly judged move by the football club and they've boxed themselves into a corner because how they move forward from this the next step that they take is fairly vital here you've got loads of Norwich fans saying that they're not going to take their their, their children their wee girls to games while the club is associated with this so the one of the great things that Norwich fans have lauded over at Switch fans for a few years is we fill our ground you don't maybe they won't after this you know, like that, that's the, that's the, the kind of uh, Then we go back, there. Stu, then we go back to ideological versus practical, don't we? Of, hang on oh. a minute, there's a queue for a season ticket. I don't want to give up my season ticket, but I'm opposed to this that. thing. And we have the the tension, and I'm, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, the tension between what people think and what people say and what people do. And I'm talking about what people do as in, I assume these this company has offered the most sponsorship money and... Um, some people would argue, but that's uh, the who's thing. The best? That's ahead. the thing. Today, it's emerged that that might not be the case. That that's the thing. So reporting on the, athletic, the was it the longest contract then, rather than the? I don't. I, I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand. Like that's that's totally made the picture. Just a bit quickly more to Hasid there. Wendy and next, I promise. Get let's. I let's. I want to talk. No, about no, no, Wendy no, no. Continue, continue. I was interested in your, in your thread. I think I think the key thing is there's been a bit of reporting today that it wasn't necessarily the the most amount of money, although that was what we were told yesterday in club that that was what the club were briefing yesterday is that it was millions of pounds more uh, was was what I was told in that Norwich talk uh, from from someone that had been to the club briefing um, Sam Seaman earlier that day. So on that basis. I would be like basically the picture's just getting murkier and murkier with regards to it. But the key thing here is you're talking about moving forward. How Norwich yes, City moved forward from this is very, very important for the integrity of the football club. It's not that this this is a, a proper like watermark moment in terms of what Norwich City are doing, and whether it's a case of a bit like you see in politics where it's like, yeah, well, or well, pre this current uh, iteration of the Tories, if, if bad things happened, ministers' heads would roll. Uh, now, that's not what's maybe going to happen at Norwich City. Maybe it is. Maybe, and you'd never want to see people lose their jobs. And I said this last night as well. There are so many talented, good people at that football club that I know personally doing good work for the right reasons. But there has been a chronic lack of judgment or due diligence or both with regards to this and how they redress this. I mean, obviously, there was the situation with memberships um, not that long ago where the club basically did a kind of mea culpa and it's like, look, we should have communicated it better. There should have been a better conversation. We're sorry we moved forward. This is not that. This is bigger than that because that was basically the club making an error of judgment with regards to the way they communicated something with fans and, and maybe what they actually sort of put forward as their plan. But at the same time, the club, which at every stage over the last four years, the club has felt like it's been a dialogue with all of the fan groups. There's been a dialogue. There's been that thing that the club and you are talking and you feel part of that. 
this is a point where there's a standoff. It's a bit like in a Western film, the kind of bit where they walk away and draw, you know? Um, that's maybe hyperbole and things a bit. But my point being, this is a point where the next step that Norwich City makes as a football club is absolutely vital, and they're going to be judged by what they do to move this situation forward. Mm. And I'm I'm fascinated to watch. I always try and control my emotions and keep back and see what right, okay you, you've effed up we we get it what what are you going to do so um look we're going to be back in 2 weeks time and i dare say this is going to have moved on stu will know we're back on um june the 24th which is the day after the group phases of the euros finishes and i suspect we'll have a bit more on this just quickly um, you can support via Super Chat any point during the show. We'll split them in half. So you wouldn't be just supporting me, you'd be supporting Stu too. Remember, hit subscribe, ring the bell over here. This show is going down both our channels. So if you want to see the next episode, you need to subscribe over on Stu's channel, which he um, plugged at the top of the show and we'll do again at the end. Um, we're going to stop that chat there um actually can i just pick up on chris lacy's point where he says what's your take on it ben just briefly um look so on the gambling thing um i'm a little bit and i'm obviously conflicted because i have gambling sponsors as well so i've been in the exact same situation obviously i'm not a big corporation we're not talking the same amount of money but I've had the exact same dialogue between ideology and practical sense. What is best for me? Um, you know, I've got a child coming in August and I've been locked in and I don't have a job, et cetera. It's world's smallest violin. I know. So I get the tension on the gambling thing. And I'm a little bit with a lot of the, um, a lot of the commenters, which was very much a sense of, look, it's rife. Everybody's doing it. Um, if you don't do it, you're going to get left behind and then there's those issues. So that's where I am on the gambling stuff. On the, um, what to call it? Um, Identity tapes. Yeah, stuff. on the um, female possible objectification, which I haven't looked at the Instagram. I believe it's been taken down. My My standard on that is... It's, look, it's very, very nuanced, and I'm not going to go black and white. My standard on that is always been personal choice. And if any level of exploitation is visible to me, I, I find it very, very uncomfortable. Do I have a problem with people being models and doing that as a career? No, I don't. Do I have a problem with this alignment of product and values, I probably do, but I would need to. I don't want to sound like I'm sitting on the fence because this is not. So, bad so can I get? Can I can I dig into that a wee bit? Yeah, go ahead. What go if? What if? So the, the obvious what if is like put Ipswich in the same position where a big big portion Ipswich. Now I don't know how the the numbers of sort of female fans in the ground compare to Norwich. I don't know anything about that, but let's just say a vast portion of Ipswich's female fan base is saying, I don't feel comfortable with this. And this makes me uncomfortable with my football club. How would you feel about that? I'd be opening up my ears and listening and discussing. And 
why don't you feel comfortable about this? What can we do about this? And I'd, I would then want that fed back and I'd want something done about it. So um, if I was put in the same position and there was a big groundswell, my ears would be wide open, put it put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I uh, sorry if anyone thinks I'm sitting on the fence. I, I genuinely think these type of conversations are not helped by, and I'm not accusing you of this, Stu, you haven't done it at all, you've been very balanced, um, are not helped by grandstanding. Do you know what I mean? And... Right, if I make the most I did that last night. I did, like, well, not, not grandstanding, but last night I, I, I salved the emotion. And to be honest, he's a journalist, right? I don't normally dive in with a, the kind of Jay Fulton and the playoff final style challenge um, <laughs> like I did on that Norwich talk. He slipped, apparently. Yeah, well, I slipped last night because my my emotions took over a wee bit on that stream. and And that's understandable, but Tonight let, I'm being a bit more yeah, measured, and I'm still passionate. Cooler, I was taught let cooler heads prevail. Discuss the discuss the nuance and try and get to the try and get to the right point. So I think um, you know we've all been in raging arguments with people before. They don't get solved then, even though you might be up the right track. But yeah, I'm very very interested. Um, and yeah, Chris is totally right. It's not fence sitting if it's what you think. Thank you. Yeah, and, and Dubai Dubai Canadians also made a good point, but I guess probably too. <laughs> has, yeah. Uh, yeah. But look, it's very, very nuanced, and it's not going to be solved by me screaming or grandstanding or you. And um, I also happen to believe that when someone makes a mistake, they have the the right to the opportunity to fix it of as well. course they do and that by the way that's that that's an outstanding point mate i think that's the key thing here is i want to see what norwich city can do to fix this that that's yeah. that's what and do you know what the club deserves after everything they've done over the past four years not to be judged yet like they deserve the chance to try and address this but they have to address this that's the guys point. we're coming up to the hour and we haven't mentioned that the Championship Player of the Year has been sold by Norwich. I'll tell you Aston what, like, can we go into stoppage time? Or yeah, can Thursday? we? Guys, let us know if you want us to continue. We'll go five, ten more minutes. So, Emi Buendia, who is off with Argentina. I've From done a separate... Argentina. <laughs> I've done a... There you go. You're going to get him to... You're not going to get Graham Dorans in a thick Scottish right. accent. You're going to get, you're going to get vocalising here. Um, so, Emi Buendia, who is off with Argentina. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> having a medical and everything apparently Stu will probably fill us in better has been um, agreed for Emmy Buendia to sign for Aston Villa for what Michael Bailey and Stu will smart us up um, came out with as 33 million transfer fee look let's be honest we're not bothered about transfer fee. Um, it's we the... are about no, no, no. Hold on, we are okay. So thirty-three million transfer fee, well, five we're, million. We're, we're talking record. We're talking record fees, right? So record. That... So record sale for Norwich and a record signing for um, Aston, Aston Villa. Villa. Now yeah. that's that that's that's a key factor, um, especially. Let's put that in context. That's a post-COVID market. I think if this is the normal market pre-COVID and the pandemic doesn't happen, no, Amy Wendia goes for like £50 million or just off. Um, I also did a bit of my own can we just Can we just quickly throw in a couple of other players? So Ake went essentially as a championship player 
for mm -hmm. 44 million at the start of the season. I think it was Sissoko who was at Newcastle, uh, who was World Cup winner, mm -hmm. 33 million, 35 million. I always, I yeah, I always think we need to, when we're talking about transfer fees, mm -hmm. um, and let's be fair, and I'm not accusing just Norwich fans of this, it's every club and a fan comes to me with a massive transfer fee, I say, okay, fine, give me your barometer player for that. So I think we've given a couple there. Right, so go ahead, Steve. I, I, think, I think, though, like, again, the difference between, like, pre-COVID and post-COVID markets has to be has to be highlighted there. Also, uh, I did a bit of my own digging regarding the add-ons and stuff, and what I found out was that confidentiality clauses had been signed, which meant the add-ons couldn't be released. But someone who's an insider at Norwich City told me that the, the add-ons were quote-unquote high. And okay. I also know that the club are very, very happy with the return that they have got for Emi Buendia, even though some fans, I think, were underwhelmed by the fee despite giving a, a record fee. Can I ask a quick question? Is mm -hmm. this the first big sale that Stuart Webber actually signed the player? Yeah, well, it depends on your barometer big, but if you're going Madison, Godfrey, Buendia, then yes. Yeah, yeah. I know, I was just, I was just interested. It's his... Because all the other players, Madison, Godfrey, Lewis, um, it were already there before. Um, David McNally, by the way, David McNally, yeah. which <laughs> you've got, to, you've got, to, you've got to give a bit of praise there. Like the recruitment under McNally and uh, Alex Neal. I mean, there was there were some really good players signed at that point, and so people often forget that. I've been speculating all season, and des I dare say you're about to tell me I was right that there was a handshake agreement. Um, this season that uh, Buendia would stay. And we did a bit with Chris Gorham, who very smartly said to me, he's worth £100 million to Norwich because he can get them promoted and the TV money is £100 million next season. So a very smart kind of handshake agreement done. And my take on it, Stu, was that the speed of the sale told me that it was a gentleman's agreement, that you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't playing Arsenal and Aston Villa and trying to get some other clubs um, involved. So talk to me about, um, talk to me about the gentleman's agreement and Buendia's wishes. So I, I don't, I don't know categorically that it happened, but I think, again, it's about what I said earlier about reading between the lines. So few bits there as obviously there was a renewed focus after the the Bournemouth game, uh, where it was the, the sort of infamous now, where uh, the, there was obviously there, there seemed to be a bit of um, kind of acrimony around the the Buendia and Norwich situation at that point, and he came back from that and then gave, I mean, arguably the best Championship season ever by a player in his position. It was it was phenomenal. Well, I maybe I don't want to yeah. go down that thing, but it's like I mean, it was, yeah. it was right oh, up there with the magnificent, magnificent. So, yeah. on, on that basis, right? I think there was definitely a discussion happened. Another thing that kind of points you, and again, it's about reading between these lines. There was a post that Emmy Buendia uh, put up. Um, it was either towards the end of the season or just after it, where he said, "Like I'll always be like a Norwich fan," blah blah blah, which tells me that he knows he's off ski. Yeah. Um, I also had a conversation with, with club insiders just after the end of the season, and they told me they would be staggered if he was still here at 
the the end of the campaign. So on that basis, uh, or sorry for the start of the next campaign. So on that basis, I think I think it would be a fairly simple deduction to say that yes, some sort of agreement did happen. Another thing that was pointed out by by Connor Southwell, who actually asked about the exact same thing on the Norwich Talk stream last night, uh, which is, is a point that I would, I've, I've made myself on occasion. Norwich City's model is about attracting players to come to say, look, we will give you a platform and we're not going to stand in your way if the right move comes. So in terms of making sure that we can continue to have the trust of players that we want to bring in and give that platform, then we can't stand in their way. We couldn't yeah, stand good, in Ben Godfrey's way with Everton. We yeah, couldn't stand point. in Ben Godfrey's or in James Madison's way with Leicester. And... I mean, that was different because obviously the club had an imperative to sell to, to to make sure that they were financially viable for the season that was lay ahead after that. But yeah, I mean, we're in a position now where I think the club knew that the, the time had come to part ways. And also, it's kind of exciting for Norwich. Well, let's get into... Let's for, get into exactly yeah, let, what Tony says. Yeah, it's, let's it's, get into Tony's question because I've um, half tried to needle Norwich fans about this. Um and That's half believed right, yeah. it, <laughs> half believed it. Um, but the issue I've got is, so we're talking about what does Norwich without Buendia look like? How much does he weaken them? And the issue we've all got is that he was so damn consistent and played so many games that no one has any idea or any reasonable enough sample size to say how they will be, how they will be weakened without him. I have done the points totals, and I'm sure you've done the points totals. Yes. They can and they can't be trusted because, let's be honest, you play a different player, you'd play a different strategy, other players would get the ball more. It's a it's a fool's errand running that mm -hmm. argument. But I, I maintain that he improved that team and everybody around him by mm -hmm. a margin, didn't he? Yeah. He made them way better. Absolutely. However... What this comes down to now is stylistic questions for me. So my view on the on the Buendia thing is obviously he's one of the greatest players in Norwich City's history. I would, I mean, I'm obviously not been a Norwich fan all my life, but at the same time, I've got enough of a knowledge of the history of the club that I would do this with comfort and imagine most people would agree he's in the top ten Norwich City players ever. If you're going most talented, um, so I don't think there's any any doubts about that. But I think the key thing is this gives Norwich a chance to actually flip the script a wee bit. Because if you're playing Emi Buendia in the Premier League, uh, and obviously we have to kind of put the previous Premier League sort of excursion for Norwich in the, the whole, like the pandemic happened, restart, project restart happened. It was all really weird, right? But that team got 21 points in the Premier League. Emi Buendia was a massive part of that team. But this gives Norwich City a chance to redesign his, their um, plans numbers, for next season. His numbers were still good, weren't they? Uh, yeah, like, I mean, if you look at key, it... Key passes, kinda, chance creation. Aye, if you look at it in a kind of American sports fan kind of way, then yes. But yeah. the key thing is, you're talking about how he improves the team round about him. The team got 21 points. So <laughs> that, that's, 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 the big, that's the big numbers when it comes to that. But this gives Norwich City a chance to entirely... Max Aarons, I think, will go as well. This gives them a chance to reconstruct that right-hand side. This gives them a chance to build a different type of team to stay in the Premier League rather than the the sort of, 
I mean, I think I once described it, the, the team that went up in 1819 is like a swashbuckling orchestra. Like, it was just beautiful attacking technical football all based on that. That went to the Premier League and that just wasn't translatable. Norwich City were built on a strong rearguard last season, which is why I think they're automatically a more viable Premier League prospect this time. But what they also have now is they have a chance to bring in a more Premier League athlete-style right back. So someone a bit taller than Max Aaron, someone who's stronger and faster. Well, maybe not faster, but stronger and more built. And maybe someone, I think, that can shift into a back three. Because I imagine, and people have argued this with me, but I imagine Norwich City will shift to a back three more often next season. And we'll see a bit more of Daniel mm. Farkas' tactical nous come to been, the fore. Basically, it's been 4-2-3-1 every game. Pretty unless, much. Unless you're chasing with 15 minutes to go. Or and then you get that glorious... Against a big club. 3-4-3 like, three, three all-out attack, which is great. Right. Talk to me about this then. Um, and we'll, we'll wrap up in a minute. Um, and I'm, can I stir the pot a little bit? I got lots of criticism for picking up on the self-funded moniker. Um, and I apologize if I upset anybody. I don't Good. like the I don't like the wording. I don't think it's the right words. I get what it's supposed to mean for all of the people who try to explain it to me. And I think when the club's in the look, and also I've just watched the Man United documentary about uh, with David Beckham speaking about how you know, everything the club put out was, you know, to give a narrative and to get everybody on site. So I get it. I totally, totally get it. Do you see any irony in self-funded against why are we selling the best player? Do, how do those two things coexist? They seem a bit contradictory to Run me. Run that there. by me again. So I've been having lots of people have a pop at me for um, picking up on the self-funded thing. But then I've seen lots of things over the weekend of people um, not seeming to accept self-funded. And when a club that um, does have an owner that puts in money and signs Watkins for 30 million quid um, comes along, surely that would be exactly what a self-funded club would do by selling the player. I don't I don't get how the two two things don't join. Do you, does that make sense? Yeah, like I mean, obviously there's going to be a, a bit of a disconnect when uh, you, when you sell your best player, it doesn't matter that people have come to accept <laughs> yeah. the model, right? When that player is as good as Amy Buendia and as as beloved as Amy Buendia, then I think I think a lot of fans are going to have a, a reactionary reaction. If you know what I mean, like I know that sounds almost like an obvious thing but I think they're going to have that emotional sort of we've lost our best player now it says everything about the last few days at Norwich City that we sold our best player and yet that was by far not our well the the David terms were agreed that was by far not the worst thing that happened to Norwich City that day which shows how a dramatic a, a kind of 48 um 72 hour span it's been but Emmy's uh Emmy's one of those players that there, there was obviously going to be a reaction to losing them. But the key thing is, every time Norwich City have sold their best player, they've got better under this current sporting structure. So James Madison went and won the league the next season. So Ben Godfrey, the defence got better. Not because we had a better defender than Ben Godfrey and the team, but Hanley and Gibson together were a better partnership. Ben Godfrey just was, was, was a better player, but we had to play a different way with him and the team. But... He's gone up a level, he suits Everton more, and he suits playing at that level more. Just like Max Aarons, wherever he goes, if he gets the right move, and I'm sure he will, 
he, he'll get a move that allows him to develop his game. Because if he plays in a Norwich City team that's that's going to have to maybe be a bit more cagey next season, that's going to limit what Max But you three at the back. Three at the back thing with him as a wing-back sounds fun, doesn't it? Sounds fun, but Max Aarons I don't think is going to be here either. Well, we're going to sell him as well, I think, and I expect us to break our transfer record probably twice during this window. There's, I've said I've said that for the longest time. It needs to be at least twice, doesn't it? This is going to be... The good thing about this is, right, we're finally getting Stuart Webber with a chance to play with, with money that takes... And I the, the old asked you that road. question last time, didn't I? Yeah. This is the thing. So I think this is the chance for Weber and the recruitment team, uh, Kieran Scott, to really show like all the work that they've been putting in. Because what they've been doing is they've been trying to trade in the bargain basement, cash converting, um, like the, the the squad, you know. Whereas now I think Norwich City have the chance and, and the recruitment team has the chance to actually go and make a bit of a splash. And I think that... With the Buendia cash, I think was was to be honest, vital to that. Because my understanding is it was going to be around 15, maybe I pushed 20 million that was going to be spent uh had it not been for that. Whereas the pot has immediately doubled by selling Emmy Buendia. So that's that's exciting. And as a Norwich City fan, one of the crumbs of comfort at this at this difficult time, um, as we go up to the Premier League, uh is that and I'm saying that because, like, it makes us sound entitled, doesn't it? Like, but I, I don't want it to come across like that. When the fabric of your football club feels like it's hurt a wee bit, that goes beyond transfers and stuff. But anyway, uh, Emmy is a player that we all loved. But I think the time was right for player and for club to move on, if I'm honest. I'll miss him. But this gives... this uh, Stuart Webber's last season, right? Go and, like, go for the jugular. You know, go for it. And sticker twist is, is like what you do in a card game, uh, which I suppose actually is a, a nice gambling metaphor to, to kind of round the discussion <laughs> off. Um, but I like uh, what he's done is he's twisted his hand. And I'm very excited to see how that turns out. Well, he's, he's backed team. himself, hasn't he? And we mentioned the players that Leeds United signed and they did not scrimp. They bought players that went could go straight into the first team. Robin Koch is at the Euros with Germany. Rafinha is being linked with Liverpool. They spent a load of money on him. Rodrigo, we already mentioned Watkins. Uh, just talk to me quickly, though, um, just as a football fan, do you fancy Grealish down the left and Buendia down the right? That sounds pretty tasty I to me. Did, um, I did a piece <laughs> for my mate who works at the Express and Star this morning, um, which is the local newspaper uh, for, for Aston Villa fans. Uh, that and the Birmingham Mail, which is like the other one. But yeah, my mate works at the Express and Star. He basically wanted um, an expert uh, opinion on Emmy Buendia and uh, he got mine, so he had to settle for that. But yeah, like one of the things I said is like, how tasty is that in a 4-3-3 formation? You know, like Grealish on the left, who's, I would say, a slightly better ball carrier. And then Buendia, who's probably a bit better at the, the incisive pass to split the defence. It's absolutely gorgeous. And what I would say is, barring a major injury to, to either of those players next season, Villa not finishing in the top 10 is a failure. Yeah, yeah. Well, 11th, 11th this season, wasn't it? And I think we need to put into context as well the, the Premier League as an entity where basically you have 
and I did the maths on this yesterday, actually, you have six teams that have been there forever. Um, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester United, Liverpool and Everton. Mm -hmm. Then you have Aston Villa and West Ham and Newcastle nearly. Leicester. Leicester is much less, though, who have been there for a long time. And then oh, you have... Right, sorry, sorry. I yeah, who have been there. Contending. Oh, like, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. Leicester. Are, yeah, Leicester. Are. But basically, other than those six, everybody has to accept the cycle, don't they? Unless you can, like Leicester are trying to do, unless you can try and break in. and. Uh, but then the elite is not the elite if it's eight teams. It will then become four. You know, you know it will then naturally shrink by it. Anyway... Great stuff, um, Stu. Thank you, everybody who's seen out 75 minutes. The numbers have actually grown rather than dwindling as well, we've I gone. I thought I would have put everyone in your channel off. Did you? <laughs> who's no, who's been... Scottish Canary upstart? Well, you've been great. And we could we can talk about Scotland a little bit in, in a, a second. But just before so you go, mm -hmm. give me your um, plugs because the next show, uh, Behind Enemy Lines, where we're going to be seeing... Norwich's contrition, probably about another eight players signed for Ipswich, um, and probably um, maybe a big signing at Norwich um, before yeah. um, June the 24th. Um, plug your Twitter and plug the channel because people will need to subscribe yeah, that's, over that's there the as well. So, so the, the model and the reason we're doing this the way that we are, and I'm obviously a beneficiary of your your massive behemoth of a, of a cracking <laughs> football channel that you do, uh, is that we want we want people to, to 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 go on both, you know, like to to definitely appreciate because there's going to be it's going to be similar, but there's going to be stylistic differences about the way we go about it, uh, and obviously the fact that we talk about one club first and and the other second. So Just quickly, yeah, quickly, guys, sorry, Stuart, if you want to shout out, put it in now, and we'll do them after Stuart's finished. So um, stick your shout outs down there. We'll put them. In that there. that's fine. Just before I do my plug for my channel, one person did ask something earlier, and you're going to be annoyed that I'm asking you this on air. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Um, they were asking if we were going to do a Scotland-England watch-along. Now, I don't know if you've done your Euros planning yet. I'm up for it. Are you? Um, it's just we'll, the we'll tech. We'll revisit that. We'll revisit that. It's just the tech. What I fancy better is a preview. Um, okay. But we can talk about that. Um, we can talk we about will, that. We will there. talk about that. But it's yes, just, if you... just the tech. But yes, we'll be all over the Euros. And uh, that could be a behind enemy lines, England versus Scotland, where I will get far more biased. <laughs> I know. Likewise. So I'm actually on that. On that I think note. I've got the higher moral ground on that one. I think I can win the fight. I don't think I can win this fight. So. Actually, I suppose that's that's a good balance to the whole thing. There you uh, go. I have on that note. I, I've decided I'm launching a Euros daily podcast. I'm going to call it the Tartan Daily. It's not going to be as high production value as any of the rest of the stuff on my channel, like Hodge on Nodges. Uh, the, the Tartan Daily is just going to be daily Euro stuff. I'll probably get you on pre-England and, and stuff. So that, that'll be good. But if you want to find me, if you want to listen to Hodge on Nudge, you can do that on your podcast channels. So if you like listening to audio podcasts, just search for Hodge on Nudge. If you put that into your YouTube, then you, I will probably come up and my channel will come up, which is Hodge the Hack, H-O-D-G-E-Y, The Hack, all one word. And that's where you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook as well. And if you subscribe to all of my stuff, then hopefully I produce content that you, you all like. That's my, my plan anyway. Uh, but I, I bask in the glory of your of your Benjamin Bloom football channel, mate. Stop it. Stop it. Thank you, everybody, for... Um, excuse me. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We had loads of 
shout out requests. So uh, QPR Forever, Captain Nat, Leeds 2021, Chris Lacey, uh, Liam Finch, David Turner, uh, Nick Muller, uh, Paul Woodrow, uh, David Berman. Uh, yes, basically to that one. Um, Julian, Liam, Dennis, Lee, um, their Dan. There we go. We've done every single one of them. And please, if you're watching after the fact, give us your feedback. What do you want us to cover? What do you want us to look at? We'll be guided by you. If you're happy for just um, just us to freewheel it and have a nice, fun conversation, then it'll be more like this. Right. Um, say goodbye, Stu. Goodbye. And leap it. I will not miss McBurney. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. Absolutely brutal. Uh, goodbye from me. And this show, Behind Enemy Lines, will be back on Stu's channel on June the 24th, when perhaps we'll have both our teams... Um, uh, maybe. maybe it might involve you lot finishing third, but both our if, teams in the knockouts. If we make the knockout stages, right, um, there's a chance that I don't Four live long enough. Four out of six, third place, go through, remember? I know, listen, I know, I know that, right, which kind of devalues it a wee bit. But at the same time, if we make the knockout stages, there's a chance Four I don't points. see that podcast, mate. Right. <laughs> Four points, come on. Four points. you just got to beat the checks. We'll beat the checks. We'll draw or lose glorious failure, usual Scotland wise to you, and then there will be a fraught game against Croatia, <laughs> which is just a nightmare to watch. That's what's going to happen, right? When, what way, the denouement of all that, I don't know, right? But that is what will happen. We'll beat the Czechs. Optimism will reign. We will have <laughs> some sort of catastrophic bit of bad luck denies us either two points or all three against England. And then it's going to be a nightmare watching the Croatia game and my lifespan will shorten by at least two years during the course of that 90 minutes. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, well, there you go. There's the Euros all sorted then. But uh, come on, let's see if we can both qualify. Anyway. Lee, Lee Pitts needs to follow my channel, by the way, because he's oh, Lee's just, great. If, if you make the knockout, I'll have a thistle tattoo. I want to see that, mate. Right? Just remember he's you said that. Then. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that because I think we're gonna make it. I'm saying that now. We're gonna make let's, the knockout stages. Let's not get into any of this stuff, um, Nick. We won't hold anybody to any any dares, but there you go. Right. And um, thank you everybody for watching, and we will be back in a fortnight. Um, yeah, and someone <laughs> well look, it's on the internet now and it's staying on my channel. So and um, don't you worry, uh, keep you up forever. It's up there. Right. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Stu, I'll chat to you the other side of the outro. And we will see you all very soon. Over and out.